Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, the expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine and the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. Today, Doctor, we've got the subject you and I have talked about over the past couple of weeks, one that you've wanted to bring to the forefront. We'll be discussing rheumatoid arthritis, a condition that affects millions of Americans and people worldwide. Doctor, tell me a little bit about rheumatoid arthritis. Who does it affect? Well, this is another disease that seems to have an affliction for women greater than men. And the women that are affected primarily are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So here we have a disease that seems to be, in some ways, sexually or gender-specific. Uh, three to four of every patient with rheumatoid arthritis is, in fact, a female. And it's affecting women in a reproductive age group. And the interesting thing, and I told you in previous podcasts that we've done, is that this was an area that interested me right in the beginning when I was in medical school, the first year. I asked mm-hmm. the question, why is it, if it's a disease, is it more prominent in women? And we're going to talk about rheumatoid arthritis. There's another disease called Sojins, which is dry eyes. And, of course, we talked about lupus with the other patient that we had before. But all these diseases seem to have a gender specificity. But when you treat the patient, when you go to the rheumatologist or you go to the internist, they don't make a differentiation between a male and a female. They treat the disease as an independent entity. While what I have looked at for 40 years now is the fact that there has to be a hormonal gender entity or element here that we really are dealing with. And that's what we did uh, and Dila will tell us about. And, And this disease is actually a breakdown of the autoimmune system? That's right. What happens is the white cells that are supposed to protect us get into the joints of these patients and actually starts attacking the cartilage. So what you end up is a woman who's in her 30s or 40s that knees look worse than if she's in her 80s or 90s because it eats the cartilage away, creates an inflammatory response. Uh, It looks as bad as if you could open up the knee and pour acid in in it. Everything that instead of being smooth is rough. Uh, The cartilage is gone. There's scarring. There's adhesions. And there's so much pain involved, uh, as you can imagine, for those of us who've had minor injuries. Imagine living with this day after day. Right. Uh, different types of arthritis. I mean, there are, there's even juvenile arthritis. What's the difference? Well, we have a juvenile arthritis, which is a different disease. We have a rheumatoid arthritis, which we're talking about today. And then we have an osteoarthritis, which is, we'll call it old age when you've worn down the cartilage from just wear and tear of aging. So what's the difference between all of those three? Well, the osteoarthritis is from it isn't inflammatory in the sense that it wasn't caused by an invasion of your white cells. Uh, you, you've been on your legs so much after 40 or 50 years or the football players that we have here in the office that you've actually worn down the cartilage and then it's bone-on-bone pain. But it's not an inflammatory situation where the body is actually eating itself up. It's just you, you ran out of cartilage or your ball bearings are gone or there's no oil in your engine. That's the type of situation we're dealing with with an osteoarthritis. And when you see these older people whose joints are swollen mm-hmm. and look like knots, that's the osteoarthritis. And there's pain involved here, but it's not to the extent pain we're talking about this rheumatoid arthritis, which is normally a healthy, reproductive, uh, prime-of-your-life type individual who now has so much pain that they can't move. And even the slightest movement is intense. 
the think of the amount of acid that's in this joint. The inflammation is just so extreme. Pain medicine doesn't work. They're often on morphine or pain pumps. And uh, the treatments are intense trying to keep the body from attacking uh, its own cells. Juvenile arthritis is a, a different disease. This is going to be an arthritic type of disease that hits a younger age group. And if it hits before the age of 13, it's going to be gender neutral, meaning boys and girls, I believe, are probably affected equally. But it sounds like rheumatoid is the most serious type of arthritis. It can be most painful, and we know there's at least 5 million mostly women affected in the United States alone. So this is on the same plane as the Crohn's disease we talked about, 5 million people. Uh, the lupus we talked about was a little less, a million and a half people. And there's some other related connective tissue. We call them connective tissue diseases mm -hmm. when the body attacks connective tissue. Right. Uh, Sojins is dry eyes. Uh, there's a bowel disease, I think it's called sweet syndrome. Um, Crohn's we know is a connective, t is a uh, inflammatory condition. But there are a lot of diseases that are related and this whole family, lupus, Crohn's, rheumatoid arthritis, are all related to the body attacking itself. And the treatments that we've gone through over the last 40 years in an effort to treat them, I believe, has missed the boat. It, how's that? Well, the original treatment we had in the 40s was high-dose steroids, and we're talking about prednisone. This is the adrenal hormone. Mm -hmm. And they would treat these patients with high doses of prednisone to block the body's natural response. The trouble is the patients got fat, they got weak, they got diabetes, they got irritable, they had overgrowth of, of like warts on their fingers, and irritability was a major component when you have what we call Cushing syndrome, which is basically all this high steroids just makes your life miserable. That was a disease treatment until probably the 1960s. In the 1960s, they came up with one drug called methotrexate. And methotrexate actually is a chemical we use to poison cancer cells. It actually blocks one of the B vitamins. I think it's B6. And what happens is when you're using methotrexate, or folic acid. When you when you are using methotrexate, you're actually treating as at, as cancer cells. As a gynecologist, it was a breakthrough in the 60s because there's a type of placental cancer called choriocarcinoma, and this basically the disease was almost universally fatal. And within five years of having experience with methotrexate, 98 percent of people who had this choriocarcinoma did not die of it. So methotrexate was a major breakthrough for us in gynecology in the 1960s. It was then used for other cancers as one of the first chemotherapeutic agents, and they've tried it on everything. They've tried it on lymphoma. Uh, it still is a major player in most cancer cocktails. We mix four or five drugs. Methotrexate is still one of the major components. Now, somewhere in the 70s and 80s, they tried to use this on these kind of conditions, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, we talked about lupus, and they found that you could block, or what the these chemotherapy drugs were doing was actually blocking the white cells from attacking the body. Those same white cells are necessary to keep you from being infected, so if you use too much of the chemotherapeutic agent trying to stop the body from attacking itself, you couldn't, you, you, down, you, you, you left the body open for infections, mm -hmm. so it's a fine line. And that's what we've been playing with for the last 30 to 40 years is these methotrexate drugs are actually called tumor necrosis factor cells. They're actually blocking the body's ability to kill cancer cells. And that's what we found that these 
these cancer these methotrexate like drugs uh, have done. So we're still treating lupus, Crohn's, uh, rheumatoid arthritis as if it is a will block the body's natural a natural response to this and hope that we don't leave the patient open for infection. And then you mentioned uh, primarily women. Uh, is this hereditary? Well, we don't know that it's hereditary per se, but the rheumatoid arthritis affects can affect families. There's some genetic factors too. I mean, if your mother had rheumatoid arthritis, it's more likely you will than if your uh, father had it, for example. So there are some genetic factors, but we know that there has to be some kind of gender sex hormone implication because this disease is predominantly female. Mm-hmm. But then men have it too, and right there's 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 a couple of disease entities here, but we specifically are dealing with a female um, with severe rheumatoid arthritis, destructive for her lifestyle, uh, no no outcome effects uh, with methotrexate, which only works for about thirty eight percent if you go out five to ten years. Mm-hmm. So we have a disease that a lot of people are suffering, and uh, no one's really offered a, a good solution for it. One of the names they use for this, the acronym is RA, correct? Exactly. So there are millions of people that suffer this, and how does traditional medicine deal with this right now? There's now three new drugs out. We mentioned one before for the colitis patient. Okay. So it's Embril, Humira, and I can't think of what the third one is. And these drugs are $15,000, $16,000 courses for three months. These are the drugs that increase your risk of tuberculosis to one in 60. These increase your risk of cancer uh, four or five fold. Mm. These are the new hot drugs, yeah. and the rheumatologists are writing for this like crazy. And it's, in my word, my thought process, it's just not smart. Well, you have a different way that you treat this then, and we have one of your patients here. We'll speak with Dila in just a few minutes. But your treatment differs, does it not? Right. We're taking the approach that scientifically we know there's a gender difference here. Mm-hmm. And what women are short on that men have more on is testosterone. And a woman generates her testosterone from her adrenal hormones called DHEA. We've talked about using DHEA in a lupus patient yep. and high levels. And I've used DHEA in high levels in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And you can buy this over the counter. DHEA in the United States is over the counter. And in rheumatoid arthritis patients, they don't have enough of the testosterone. They tend to convert their DHA to estrogen. So by giving them more DHA, they get higher levels of testosterone. And some do well on just that as a treatment. The second part of my component treatment is to say, let's raise the testosterone level and let's suppress the estrogen. See, for women, estrogen can be inflammatory. It's not always good. Mm -hmm. And what the studies are showing in the medical literature is that inside these joints, the body is producing more estrogen than it normally is. And these joints have more estrogen, which is inflammatory in the joints. So by me using androgens, testosterones that don't convert to estrogen, we're suppressing the estrogen levels that normally are being produced in a woman's joints. So we're taking the approach before you go poisoning somebody with all these new drugs or these old ones, how much of a response can we get just by rearranging the hormones and reestablishing a normal balance? It's, sometimes it seems too simple. 
It does, but you're experiencing good results with that. And on top of that, what was interesting, because I just looked at the literature this morning, is that there's 10 articles out in 2009 in animal studies showing the treatments for rheumatoid arthritis in animals. They're looking at the androgens. So we're catching up to what I've been doing for years, but it's in the medical literature now. They are looking at the inflammatory the anti-inflammatory effects of androgens in animals, rabbits and other animals that are models for rheumatoid arthritis. So maybe they'll catch up in 10 years. <laughs> well, that's typical. You know, you're always about 10 years ahead of the curve and they'll catch up. But in the meantime, let's talk to Dila. She's a patient of Dr. Lichten's and she suffers from RA or suffered. We'll find out more of how well she feels today. But welcome to the program, Dila. Thank you. Tell me a little bit, when did your symptoms present themselves to you? Well, um, I had joint pain, and um, my right knee had um, a swollen. And I went to my family doctor, and he told me to get an ultrasound because he thought it was their blood clots. So when I went and got the, the ultrasound, they found out that no, it was not an ultrasound. He just thought it was inflammation. So he then referred me to an um, orthopedic surgeon. He then um, had x-rays done on both of my knees, and he told me that uh, my knees were the age of a 70-year-old woman. He said if I was in my late 40s or 50s, he would recommend replacing both knees. He said because he's never seen rheumatoid um, RA this bad in someone in their early 30s. So um, um, he told me to go back to my family doctor. He wrote me a script for painkillers. He drained my knee, went back to my family doctor. He referred me to a, um, he said, one of the best rheumatologists in Michigan. I went uh, then to see her, and she told me that, um, yes, my RA is very aggressive, and she'll put me on a medication that she feels safe and she uses on many of her patients, which happened to be methotrexate. Um, she then gave me um, another script for, she said, inflammation, um, uh, aches, pains, and again, pain medication for my knee. Mm -hmm. um, so I was on the methotrexate for, I think, a year and a half. Did that help at all? It did help a little bit. It was easier to move around, yet I still had aches and pains. Um, I had swelling on my knees, on my wrists, on my ankles, but it was not nearly as bad as it was a year and a half before that. Mm -hmm. But I was continuously on pain medication. That's what upset me because I thought, was I getting any better? She said, if that didn't work, then they would move me on to the embryo. Is that what that is? So um, uh, a friend of mine thought um, there might be something hormonal. There was something, there was an imbalance. Mm -hmm. So he did some research. Um, he went, uh, found Dr. Lichten's book, and he said, it's really amazing because this doctor is here in Michigan, and uh, he's in Birmingham. He goes, you'll be amazed. And I thought, okay. Fine. Yeah, we'll heard go. that before, right? Sure, and I was very reluctant. I thought, oh, what? And, and to come to find out, it wasn't like he was a specialist in, in this field exactly. He mm -hmm. was doing other things, and I thought, right. I don't want to do this. Very reluctant. Um, again, um, we were reading, you know, looking at a magazine, and I ended up seeing you on the Hour magazine. Again, a couple of days later, we saw that you were at uh, a Rochester facility, and um, you were going to, you were looking, you know, um, open for new patients or to give free consultations. So we went in, um, we spoke briefly. Um, I came back to see you, I think a couple of weeks later, you put me on your program. You told me to stick with the methotrexate. Um, I did not. I figured I would stay on either the methotrexate with the, the rheumatologist or I would stay with you. I, would not gonna, I wasn't gonna do both. So um, 
I think two weeks after your program, um, I felt like I was in my 20s. I could walk, um, run around, I can move. There was wow. no aching, there was no swelling. There was um, no pain. I had not taken any pain medication or methotrexate. In just two weeks, I noticed the difference. And now it's been a few months, and um, honestly, I feel like I'm in my 20s again. No aches, no pains. I would never, you would never know that I had RA or diagnosed with RA. Now, now what pain medicine do they have you on? Vicodin or? They had me on Vicodin. Lorset. They, yes, and when the Vicodin finally I was so immune to it, then they moved it onto the Darvisat, and they were continuously moving it up in higher dosages every day on pain and medication. And the next step would have been the morphine or the lollipops. You, you didn't get to that level I didn't get yet. to that level, no. But you had, to, you had to plan your whole life on how far you could you go. You couldn't walk two blocks. I, you couldn't go to the grocery store. I mean, you know. I planned my whole day. Every morning I made sure and woke up. I, I um, had a schedule two hours early so I would, you know, um, get out of bed. I'd wake up two hours before work. Barely make it out of bed. Hit the shower because it was so hot that it would actually make my my joints feel better but as i did that i would take a painkiller so then i I was motivated i could move i didn't feel the pain so i would get the house in order get ready for work go on to work later on in the day again take another painkiller and i planned my day perfectly when i was on the pain medication i'd do the groceries run errands with my son you know take care of everything i was supposed to do because i knew once four o'clock Five o'clock hit. By the time I made it home, I would I was out till the next morning. That's all I did is barely get up in the morning, go to work, take care wow. of some things at home, and then go to bed every night. Five o'clock, probably that was the latest. I was so up. your life was completely consumed with just consumed. working around the pain. The pain, yes. On a scale of one to ten, could you put a number on the 11. pain? Eleven. It was horrible. Seriously, it was that terrible. Bad. I was in my early thirties and I could hardly walk. I could hardly walk. I mean, mentally, how do you feel? I mean, you're 30 years old. You're in the prime of your life, and now you're going, oh, my God, I, I, I was depressed. I was, I was thinking of seeing you know, someone because I was so depressed. And they said, um, you know, the famous words of my family doctor was, this, we are doing everything we can possibly do for you. And that was it. They said there was nothing. And that's nothing. frustrating, right? Because here you're, you're really in need of, of hope and help, sure. and, and they're telling you, this is all we can do. There was nothing. I didn't when when she gave put me a methotrexate. I just thought it was um, you know pain med, or not pain medication but medication for RA. When um, um, Doctor Lichten said you're on you know um, chemotherapy, I'm like, what is he talking about chemotherapy? I never knew, ever knew that's what it was. She said yes, we use it for several other things, but we do use it for RA and it happens to work. But I never once knew I was on cancer medication, and I, I don't have cancer. Yeah, cancer medication, the pain medications, all that she was taking, Dr. Lichten, that's got to be very toxic stuff. There's no question. Although methotrexate may be one of the lesser toxic drugs, we know that to be on this for long periods of time increase your risk of cancer. Uh, so you're taking an anti-cancer drug, you're suppressing your own immune system, um, just a quick look at the literature. There was increased liver tumors, uh, increased stomach and gastric cancer, uh, osteoporosis. Um, of course, when you're on these kind of drugs, there's no sex drive at all because you're just too depressed to do anything. I think even any good thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. I was looking up. I didn't find references. I think there's an increase in risk of ovarian cancer on long-term methotrexate. But the point is, if you could avoid taking these drugs... You know, yes, don't take these drugs. Right. 
And the new ones are actually worse. The cost of Embro or Humira is $16,000 for three months mm. to get started. This drug blocks tumor necrosis factor, which is what the body uses to kill cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the ads on TV, one in 60 ca- case of tuberculosis recurrent, four or five times greater risk of getting cancer when you're on these drugs. So here you are, someone who does not have cancer taking a cancer drug or these new TNF uh, receptor blockers, and you're going to increase your risk of cancer four or five fold because there isn't anything they tell you that could be used that's safer, less expensive, and in our experience, d- dramatically more effective. I mean, if this didn't work, she always had the methotrexate, but look, right. it worked, and we're not on a chemotherapy drug anymore. Mm-hmm. But the trouble is, the internists don't know how to use testosterone, or they haven't been educated because it's too cheap, too effective. And the drug companies are out there promoting on TV and radio with billion dollars worth of advertising that there's this new wonderful series of drugs, which I expect will be pulled off the market in four or five years, just like the last set of drugs that they put out. Because mm-hmm. after a number of people die with liver cancer and all these other complications, they'll say, well, it's too toxic to treat people. But they won't tell you there's something simple and cheap and effective that's out there right now. Right. Dila, did anyone tell you that all of what you were taking had any really negative side effects to it? Nothing at all. They said it was a very um, uh, safe mm-hmm. medication. Um, they said um, that um, I shouldn't have a lot of side effects with it. And um, I should be, this is the way it was going to be. Hopefully I didn't have to go into stronger medication. So I was actually, like, they made it sound like I was lucky just oh, to be on the methotrexate. Right, 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 on cancer medication. And, and the data said that about, People who are followed on rheumatoid with rheumatoid arthritis for a period of ten or twelve years, about thirty-eight percent find some relief. So it's only working for a third of people long term, and you had one of the worst cases you described—not a simple case, mm-hmm. not a mild case, not a slowly progressive case, but a rapidly progressing, very aggressive case. So you were up there in the sickest, fastest, youngest group. So your prognosis, you know, for effectiveness—I mean, you said it helps some, but took the pain from 11 to what an eight i mean it wasn't like your life was suddenly back to normal no not at all no and i couldn't live without the pain medication every single day so here you've got a 30 year old lady and uh, she's got pain at the level of 11 she says and taking all of these toxic drugs and then you finally find dr lichten tell me about that now um so when i came to see dr lichten it was, um, I think we were, we spoke for maybe a half hour. Um, you said that you thought that you could help me. It wasn't going to be this um, um, big elaborate thing. I will need your blood work. I'll change your diet. And uh, we'll start um, your... Um, Hormonal replacement. Yes. And, with it, and, and it was funny because you told me stick to the methotrexate and I promised that I would but I was done with it when I found out it was chemotherapy I was done that day I was done and um two weeks into the program I felt like a totally different person well why did you ask her to stay on that then well the problem we have is since Dila's trying to figure out what I am and I'm a gynecologist now we're treating rheumatoid arthritis mm. Crohn's and lupus and uh, heart disease and whatever else walks on the door he's a healer she's, she, yeah well thank you uh, yes. I, that's, a, that's a compliment I really appreciate she's wondering if I'm just one looney tune out there okay 
you know, and and that's really what. So I try to talk logically that what we're looking at is that your body is under an inflammatory attack, and we know there are foods that are anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Increase your fish oils, right. anti-inflammatory. Increase your vitamin C, anti-inflammatory. You know, and then there's some other B vitamins and some other products like. Uh, if for joint pain, we can use uh, MSM or creatine or uh, chondroitin, and these are anti-inflammatory. And make sure you have enough mineral magnesium on board because these are anti-inflammatory. And I said this is your nutritional anti-inflammatory regimen because your body, your genetics, whatever happening, you're consuming these, and the more you can take in, the better your joints will be. And then I explained that there were three hormones that we use that basically give you energy and that'd be energy to heal because her body is obviously not able to heal and the three hormones we talked about was dhea which is the adrenal hormone which we've used in lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and the second one is thyroid and there's an interesting article i just pulled that said people with rheumatoid arthritis have a higher incidence of low thyroid and the big player we're using are the testosterone the anabolic steroids that are truly the most anti-inflammatory products in the body we talked about one called Nandrolone, which is made in both men and women, that if a woman walks in with a huge swollen joint, a shot of Nandrolone in 48 hours it needs normal size. It has this type of experience, whether it's osteo or rheumatoid. So we talked about these different uh, approaches for improving the body's ability to handle inflammation. And uh, again, Dila's not the first patient who doesn't listen, but that's okay. The results are good. <laughs> You know, but I want to make sure that she maintained her physician because I'm not going to be admitting someone to the hospital with rheumatoid arth- arthritis who has a complication. You need your primary physician who is treating that disease. Mm-hmm. I consider me just your hormonal consultant. Okay, I'm consulting on the hormones. See if we reestablish a normal basis that it helps your life along. And uh, obviously, it, it did wonders. Well, Dila, did you ever talk to your? primary physician about uh, this hormonal replacement and you know um i had i go in every couple of months to the rheumatologist and mm-hmm. um she would ask me she said wow you you look great she said you, you don't look tired and um i said yeah it's like a miracle you know she didn't want to hear she said i told you the drug would work i told you she said oh. did you see it was just going to take a while that it was going to work so you just had to wait it out and you didn't and tell her See, so 18 months go on, and she feels the same, okay? Now, within four weeks, she's suddenly better. Now, have you ever seen, like a ball player, okay? If ball player's out there, he's, he's played for 18 months, he's right. got a 200 average, and he's going to suddenly end up with a 450? No. It doesn't happen. Uh-huh. You know, hitting yourself over the head with a baseball bat, maybe right. this woman, gosh, it's working now. Well, she wanted to take credit for it, but she just missed the point. No, we know what happened, but I'm just curious as to why you didn't want to take the next step and say what you'd been doing that you really feel is what made the difference. You know, I really didn't want to go see her at all. I didn't. Yeah, you were done with her at that I was point. done. I was very upset, and um, I was angry because she didn't tell me what the methotrexate was all about. Um, I just simply went because I was not sure. I'll be totally honest. I wasn't sure with Dr. Lichten. I didn't know. So I said, just leave her there. She's still my rheumatologist. You never know. What if this is just something that's, you know, uh, it'll work for a month or two and that's it. So I just kept her as my rheumatologist. But no, I've been on it just for a couple of months and I I feel like a a million bucks. I I don't feel, I can't remember how um, 
miserable I was. I don't. I don't. There is. There aren't um, aches and pains, and I can get up, and I don't go to bed at you know as soon as I come home from work. I have energy. I can move. I get. There's activities. I work out. You know. I mean. And this disease can be progressive. And just from a practical standpoint, one of the complications with rheumatoid arthritis is dry eyes. It's called Sojin's disease. And if that symptom did come on, I don't know exactly what the right medicine is for that. I would want Dila to see the rheumatologist to say, okay, here's the right eye drops to be using. I'm not taking over her care, okay? I'm treating her from a hormonal standpoint, just like with the diabetics. No, I understand. There's an endocrinologist out there if you really get in trouble, but I'm the guy who's changing your hormones and your life, fortunately, may get better. And same with the Crohn's. I don't tell them, get rid of your GI specialist. You keep your gastroenterologist available if you have a complication but meanwhile if your life is much better then we rejoice in the hope and the results and that's what we're talking about hope and results well i understand but what concerns me about that whole scenario is that you're open to working with them i fear sometimes when a patient would say something to their doctor they may not be open to this therapy and this therapy is the therapy that's actually made the difference well let's just put it a hundred percent they are not open to this therapy, okay? Remember the lupus patient, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Yolanda? She said I when do. she told the doctor who was she seeing, she, he said, quote, don't see him anymore. She said, but he's making me better. And the doctor says, that's irrelevant. Right. This is what we know. This is what we know works to the level we know. If something newer, better is going to come down the pipe, then some drug company is going to give us a new drug for it, and we're going to be the only ones who have it, and therefore this will stay within our specialty. Because now, if we take rheumatoid arthritis away from the rheumatologist, and we take Crohn's disease away from the gastroenterologist, and we take diabetes away from the endocrinologist, okay, and we take all the PMS, menstrual pain, migraine, away from the gynecologist and the neurologist, then you find out we only need one specialist for 80% of the disease. We don't need all the super specialists. We just need family practitioners or general internists who have learned how to adjust hormones. And if you look at the whole concept of what we hear from Washington, and God forbid we should hear more, but the bottom line is the concept is why can't we have one doctor that does it all? The answer, yeah, we really can but that doctor is going to be pushing drugs that are cheap and safe and inexpensive and cut down visits and actually solve the health care situation. But that means the drug companies aren't going to be selling all these ridiculously expensive drugs. And that money is not going to go back to 40% kickback to the insurance companies. And they're not going to have money for new research to buy the FDA. And the insurance company, you're not going to have all the visits to the doctor. So therefore, there's less administrative fees. And suddenly you see if we did this right we saved a quarter trillion dollars tomorrow. Healthcare is about health. We're here talking about health. The guy in Washington is talking about moving your money into a different pocket. This is real. That's just opportunist speaking. Yeah, but money. Yeah. Money gets in the way of health. Yeah, and whenever there's a lawyer, that's what they're looking at is moving money. And yeah. we've, we've done enough of these programs where then I see the patients who are frustrated, you know, like you, Dila. You know, we've done so many shows, and, and many people are exactly like you. They, they look back at their, the, whoever their primary caregiver was, and they've got just ill feelings towards them because they were misled. They weren't given hope, 
and all the time there was hope and there were uh, possibilities in front of them. You know what, I agree. I was at the point that um, I thought this was it. I thought the rest of my life, it would just progressively get worse. I'd have to replace my knees. There was nothing to look forward to. And, um, you know, I'm a very private person. Honestly, I don't really talk too much about my personal life. But I wanted some people to know out there that there is. There's hope. There's more out there than just what your doctor says. This is the best that we can do for you. Mm -hmm. And you're getting the best treatment. Because guess what? You're not. In two weeks, I felt completely different. I felt like I was in my 20s. I have energy. I can move. I'm not um, having a hard time getting up every morning. I, I mean, I wasn't, I, I felt like I was a 70 year old, honestly, woman that was in terrible health. And here I was in my 30s. I just want people to know that there is someone out here, Dr. Lichten, that will help you, that will help you and take care of you and guide you to the right direction and make you feel like you should. So I thank him thank very you. much. So with Dila's disease and uh, what would have been the progression of that disease, what do you anticipate the progression now to be? Is it in a holding pattern? Does it not get worse? Can it get better? Well, we're, we're crossing over between different disease processes here because we're finding a universal truth, and that is the bodies are being affected by this estrogen overload from the environment, and when we reset this, people do better. Now we have the longest case we have, we have Joe with his diabetes. So he's been diabetic, he's completely controlled, he's, in, he's less diabetic than you and I, he's been on this therapy for 15 years. So if for 15 years Joe is no longer diabetic, well maybe he'll develop diabetes, but he has a 15 or 20 year window where he doesn't have disease. Personally, I've been on this medicine for 20 years, okay? And most of the time I don't think I feel as badly as I did at 41, and I'm 62. And I feel better than I did at 41. I'm more sports attuned. I have more endurance, more strength. So I have 20 years where I can say my life has been better. Now, how long will this be? We don't know, okay? But if we give Dila 20 years without the disease, 20 years where she's 20 years old again, okay? I mean, isn't that wonderful? Well, at the very least, it buys time for other things that could come down the pipeline if uh, something healthier comes along. And we're still researching. I have a couple of new anabolic steroids that I'm uh, doing research with that mm-hmm. may have unique effects on some people that we're not getting exactly the right response to. Uh, but we're able to block symptoms. I mean, you don't have increased problems with facial hair. You're taking that little mild water pill, that spiralactone, which mm-hmm. works well. Yes. Uh, we have you on a little bit of thyroid. Your energy level's up because the testosterone can lower the thyroid. You're taking good levels of DHEA because this has a very strong anti-inflammatory effect for women. Uh, probably have you on some vitamin D because you've measured low. And it's the same treatment. So you say, how do I treat Dila different than Yolanda or Pam? You come back and say, you didn't. You treat them all exactly the same. You reset the endocrine system to normal balance, and look what happens. We're treating all these different diseases. So maybe, maybe the endocrine dysfunction was the cause of the disease. Isn't that a nice, simple concept? If you fix the body, how it responds to disease, the disease goes away? Yes, and it seems that it goes that way with many diseases. Yeah, all these chronic diseases that we have no treatment for may really be one respo- body's response to 
a stressor. And by fixing that stressor, it, it, it works for everything. I mean, you know, you've heard different stories. We keep coming in. You keep saying your face is the same thing. She sounds like Dila, Pam, Joe. John, why are all these people with different diseases responding to the same treatment? Because maybe we found not a universal cure, but maybe a universal process Mm -hmm. that we can treat. I just find myself uh, in a position of anger when they're just led down this medical path and pharmaceutical path that isn't in our best interest. That frustrates me. Well, but remember also that I'm here on almost on a mission you know, I'm sitting out there with this target on my back too, and that even though we do the research, we do the publication, they're now they're trying to block my research. Uh, they're throwing all kind of roadblocks against me. They're bad mouthing me. They're telling everybody I'm poisoning my patients. I'm experimenting on them. I'm using unapproved medication, and you don't want anything to do with him. And uh, and then we have the issues of why the insurance companies won't pay for these drugs. Uh, although they're FDA approved, and why are they held up by the DEA at, at the border, and and why is it the large companies have dropped these drugs under pressure from the DEA, and you start to get a real picture that what we're dealing with, and I don't fault other doctors, but the, I fault the ones who come to me and I treat them, and then they won't treat their own patients, so they come, they know that I'm helping to save their lives, and then they won't because they're afraid of what their colleagues or the Insurance companies, they don't pass that information on to treat those patients. We're always going to have doctors who think they have all the answers, just like we have presidents and people in Congress who think they have all the answers, and they don't want to consider anything else. But what we're here talking about is that these drugs have been around for 50 years. And I can tell you the story, again, about the guy in Denmark who did all the original work with testosterone diabetes, and he spent the last four years of his life in court. Quote, you're reckless. You're putting your patients at risk. And these were patients who were losing their legs to gangrene. Four-year trial, the guy lost his wife from the stress, won the case only because uh, the magistrate sent him behind the scenes his sister with diabetes, and he cured his sister. So the guy said, this is ridiculous, after four years and threw it out. The guy died two years later. The whole network of physicians, 250 doctors throughout Europe he had trained, didn't want to go through the fight. They didn't feel they had enough to stand up to the socialistic, pharmaceutical government and the other specialists who were going to attack them. And they just faded. So here we had what I'm bringing back for diabetes and now what we're bringing in for lupus and for Crohn's and for PMS and migraine and fibroids and bleeding is the concept that we have the drugs and they're cheap. And the people who don't want it are the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies, the government. Because if you're healthy, you're at the town hall meetings. If you're sick, you're home. They don't want a healthy populace. It's easy to control a sick populace. So for those who think that the pharmaceutical and the insurance and the government quote the 1984 pigs, if you think about it, are out for your best interest, you're more naive than I am. And I was naive until 10 years ago when I found the whole world attacking me just because I found that this worked for diabetes. Wow, speechless. (laughs) When you hear things like that, it... um, It's frightening. Especially for you, because, I mean, you had the pain. Now you don't have the pain. You didn't have a life. And now you have a life. 
And yes, here's the thing with the pharmaceutical side, too. They may come up with these drugs. They may help you a little bit, lower your 11 to an 8, like Dr. Licken said. But then they may find that 10 years down the road, they're actually causing cancer, and there, there are all kinds of problems with it. They pull it from the market, and you can't go back after them because it was approved by the FDA. That's right. Now, the whole concept of pharmaceuticals or, you know, DuPont, better living through chemistry, now it's better living through biochemistry, is that when you put something in the body, now remember our bodies have evolved over 5 million years and before that, 500 million years of evolution, that these chemicals we have in our bodies are perfect for our bodies. So if you take natural vitamin D3, it's perfect. Can't improve on it. Okay, if you make vitamin D2, it's not going to work as well. So every time you take like the movie Duplicity, every time you change just a little bit and you move farther and farther away from the natural, the incidence of toxicity goes up and the incidence of effectiveness goes down. But because the way the laws are, you got a 17 year window for quote a patent and all the drugs that were available, all the hormones that were available before the FDA was organized in 1939 or grandfathered. So you can't patent testosterone. You can't patent estrogen. You can't patent thyroid. So what they've done is to cut it up. So now the thyroid you buy, Synthroid is only half of natural thyroid. And Premarin, which is horse urine, is not your natural estrogen. And Provera is derivative of oil that works as a progesterone, but it's not progesterone. So as they keep every 17 years, it's gotten more and more toxic. So when I was out in practice, uh, or medical school, late 60s and early 70s, the drugs we were working with were really not toxic. But now you see the drug for diabetes, Reslin has been taken off the market. Actos and Avandi are in the same family. They're not effective, they're expensive, and they'll sooner or later be kicked off the market. Drugs for cholesterol, Baycol, taken off the market, Atramid, uh, which was used to lower cholesterol, taken off the market. There actually looks like almost one of every three or four drugs that are being introduced today within 10 years will be removed. That's how toxic, because the drug companies don't want to go back to something cheap and simple and generic. And I've talked to at least 15 drug companies about this work, and they say, how are we going to make any money? Well, that's the they bottom don't, line. They don't ask any question like Cookie. I said, well, you know, you come out with this product and you package this way. You got a two-year window. It says, yeah, after two years, some generic company's going to come in and all our time and effort is going to be wasted. I said, well, you know, what, it's 5, 10, 15, 20 million dollars and you're talking about a billion dollar product? Says, no, we don't want to take that risk. And I've watched these companies talk about their products and I sat back and say, you're just foolish. Your product's not going to make it. And I met with one in California. Very positive meeting. The guy says, your work is brilliant. We just don't do things this way. We don't put out products that can help people if we can't make a profit and maintain our market share. Right. Well, so, that's, that's the way they operate. Right. And so all the people involved in healthcare who are on TV, we're the doctors. No, we have senators and lawyers and presidents and insurance people and pharmaceutical companies all in favor of a new plan to let one person make the decision called a health czar. And this is what they have in Europe. So in Europe, these drugs are available, but they're not being used because we have the other control. If you are a medical doctor who can prescribe this drug, you are instructed if the patient has rheumatoid arthritis to use methotrexate or Embryol. And if you use the androgens that you can buy, you will have your license removed because you didn't follow protocol. So what they're doing in the United States where doctors have freedom to be inventive, to use drugs, and actually the FDA said this in 83, 
uh, before all the uh, political money came in, is the FDA stated a doctor can take any drug that's out there and use it for any reasons as long as he thinks there's some logical reason for doing so. FDA ordinance. Now, they've tried to change that on the compounding issues in the last four years. FDA has put out a lot of issues, a, a lot of papers, which I ignore. But the bottom line, I'm relying on the 83 statement that says I can use any drug for any reason where I can logically explain why I'm doing so. And in Europe, that doesn't exist. So for those people out there who are saying, well, how would our system change under the Obamacare? She won't get her drugs. I would be banned. I would lose my, lose my license to give her the drug that works because the health star says, you're not allowed to use it. We don't care what you've done. This is a protocol. Everyone gets the same therapy so everyone knows they're equal. Equally ill, not equally well. I, I love your look, Steve, because it's all it's like, oh, oh, my God, are we really that bad? Is this 1933 in Germany? Mm -hmm. No, it's 1929 in Germany. Well, I'm I, as I'm looking at you and listening to that, I'm also remembering Obama's speeches when he said, look, if you have a certain type of health care, it won't change. But the health czar will say, yes, but that drug is not going to be used for this or your license will be pulled. Now, I have interesting stories I can tell if you want to get to that. 1983, I went ahead and worked with a drug company who's, who was bought by another drug company. I had found that Danazol, a drug for, which is a testosterone, a very mild testosterone that was being used for endometriosis, I could treat migraine with it. And I went to the drug company and said, great. Our drug's been around for 40 years. No one's ever shown us, and your data is good and it's strong. Your scientific studies are there. Here's what you do. You file for an IND, which is called an uh, independent uh, or new drug application, and you file it with the FDA, and then we'll give you the placebo, and we'll give you all the active drug, and you do your study because you already got it approved by your university hospital. So I filed for the IND, and three days after I got it, I got a letter, a callback that says your study is canceled. I said, why? They said, you'll understand. A month later, two months go by, I don't get an answer. So I go ahead and go to Carl Levin, because a friend of mine was his surgeon, and I said, will you do something? So he checked, and for five months, they wouldn't give him an answer. And then I get a letter from the head of the FDA. Now remember, drug's been approved for use for nine months at four tablets a day. I asked for two months at two tablets a day, okay? Mm -hmm. One-fourth the dose for one-fourth the period of time. And I got a letter from the FDA that said, quote, and it was ahead of the FDA, not a little guy, number one. There are more than enough drugs out there to treat headaches. If I find that you're doing this study, I will come in and take all your records and make sure you'll never practice medicine again. And that was 1983. Now, I did the study anyway, but I did, I couldn't do, the drug company ran so fast, you can't imagine, they left me sitting out there just like that. And I did the study a different way, and we published it. And the data is now consistent with the treatments of PMS and migraine and heavy menstrual barrier that this drug, an anti-estrogen, works clinically. But 25 years ago, I was told, you don't do the study. Two big drug companies have this market, and you're not going to put a third company in there without dire consequences. Man, that's spooky. Those are spooky stories. Yeah, well, when we find out the truth behind the diabetes story, it's going to run all the way up to the White House. Trust me. Oh, maybe we should do a whole show like that around Halloween. You know, spooky stories from Dr. Lichten of how our health care could harm us. Ooh, scary. 
hey, you know, I have people who see me who are in Europe and tell me about healthcare in Europe. And the truth is, there's two levels of healthcare in Europe, what you get mm-hmm. and what you can pay for. And it's been their way for 25 years, 30 years. I was there in 1973 and I talked to the doctors. I was lecturing on menstrual pain. And uh, they said, we have two levels of healthcare. You make an appointment with a doctor, be seen within six months. Or you say, I really have to be seen. And they say, we, he'll see you after hours and make sure you have 100 bucks. Hundred bucks, and that's and that was this was and we're talking about this was uh, thirty years ago. So if you wanted to be seen, the doctor stayed after hours, and uh, you paid him to get treated. And this is what will happen here. People don't understand that there won't be enough doctors to treat with all these old poison medicines, and the number of visits will go up, and the availability will go down, and the waits will get long. And that's how the systems in England works to restrict healthcare. If you have to wait six months for your MRI, uh, you might be dead in the meantime. Not good. Dila, how do you feel about all of this? It's frightening. It really is. I mean, it, honestly, it, it, you think in this day and age this wouldn't happen, but it's right around the corner. And if we don't have people like Dr. Lichten that you know um, challenge um, what they're trying to do, we're going to be. You ever notice sometimes when people haven't experienced it like you, that you, you talk to other people about what's really going on sometimes behind the scenes and they go, ah, oh, come on, it's not. I mean, it, you know, you're making a big deal of nothing. Right, because it's not happening to them. Exactly. It's not. So they don't think of how valuable our health really is. Yeah, I think you told me you're from, uh, East, your family is Eastern, Southern Europe. In Europe, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if you came over, you've been over here. I was born and raised. You're born and raised here, but I'm sure you have stories about healthcare issues from relatives back home. That not maybe you could get an aspirin, but if you had this problem back home, what would you be doing? It's the same thing. Cash is king. You find someone and you pay out of pocket, and you've got the best healthcare. Because if you don't have the money in hand, then you're going to wait and let. Hopefully, someone will see you. But nobody cares. They don't. So other knee replacements, you would have been in a wheelchair. I believe that. I really do. I do. Because he looked at me and he said, wow, it, you, you have the knees of a 70-year-old. And he said, he gave me a nice, um, actually a nice big bottle of Vicodin and sent me on my way back to my doctor. And he said, you'll thank me for this, for this later. Now, well, interesting thing just to think about, just so part of what Steve said, is when it's one year anniversary mm-hmm. on the treatments with the androgens, yes. Go back to the doctor and ask him to take the pictures of your knees. I will. And then look at his face when he says, what the blank, blank, blank did you do? Nothing. I didn't do anything. It just fixed itself all by itself. It's a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> wow. You know, I just think that if, you know, whatever knowledge I have, you know, it is my privilege to see if I can apply it to treat people. And you and the diabetics and Yolanda and uh, uh, Shmuel with his ulcerative colitis who come in and says, I don't know what you did, but you healed me. And I just, you know, this is what I wanted to be. This is why I went into medicine. This is where the calling is. And uh, I'm just tickle pink for every story we have like you. And we've had, a f- we have more interesting stories. I mean, I think we could go a couple years or more with patient after patient with a different kick on how the disease had affected them and what the hormonal replacement therapy has done. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, hey, Steve. Deal and I thank you for putting the show together for us. Thank you. No, listen, I'm I'm just grateful that uh, things are working, you know, that you feel the way you do now. Because I can only imagine what it must have been like to be that young and, and be told that you really have the body of a 70-year-old. 70-year-old woman, yes. And that's progressing. It was, it was a scary future. You said you're working out now? I work out a little bit. I'm active. Um, I mean... Honestly, I, I feel better and look better than I did in my 20s, and that's scary. You look great. Thank you. And um, working out, I would imagine, would be a good thing. Uh, if you're working out with reasonable amount of weights, it seems that better muscle tone would support Definitely. joints better. Yeah, and I, swimming is actually a wonderful exercise. It's easy on the joints. Uh, that's probably the preferred one. Um, whatever you feel like doing, I mean, the point is it's all a matter of getting circulation and when you exercise, you naturally raise your testosterone levels. Exercise, reasonable exercise is anti-inflammatory. So Dale, you're, you're doing a lot of what Dr. Licken said nutritionally. Um, Absolutely. With all of the, the clean, just clean diet. And eating right and, and, and doing all of this. So yeah, I, I'm very curious to see future scans of your knees and to see what they look like. So am I. You know what? When we get those back and they look amazing, as I would imagine they would, we need to put them up on the website or something so people can see. Well, the story I You tell don't mind your joints being on the web, do you? Why not? <laughs> it's Why only not? your joint. Why not? Oh, no question. I told you the story with the osteoporosis patient who had had five hip replacements. Mm -hmm. And she came to me because she was doing some work on, on, on my back. And she said, can you make me strong enough so I can recover from my sixth hip surgery? And I said, well, we can try. And she had so much osteoporosis that the metal shaft was like a center of a bullseye and the, all this white area was around it. Gosh. And when we put her on growth hormone, the testosterone, she came back and showed me that in a period of six months, 75% of that area closed. Wow, that's exciting. And she never needed a hip replacement. That is so cool. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah, and, and you sit back and go, gosh, isn't this neat? And $6 a week, we can do this, you imagine? Well, if Dila would have had her knees replaced, that's not the end of it, right? I mean, her knees oh, no, are... and then she's, she started with, with her elbows. We're going to place the elbow joints next, and we're going to place the shoulder joints next. And at what point in time does, uh, you know, Hillary Obamacare say this is too much money for one person? You've already spent your million dollars, so you're on your own. I mean, the point we're making is health is prevention, we have a key now. We have some simple, cheap androgens that block estrogen poisoning. Yes, it'd be great if we could stop the estrogen poisoning. We can't, but we have a way of stopping it from killing us. And this is simple, and it's cheap, and it's available, and the only people that don't want it are the ones in charge. We get a lot of people listening to our program on iTunes or through antiagingradio.com, and they find us when they're searching for RA or different subject matter. So if you're one of those listeners out there and you want to get a hold of Dr. Lichten to learn more about this, you can reach him at 248-593-9999. Again, Dr. Lichten's number, 248-593-9999. He's available for consultation. And you can also find more information on his website, which is usdoctor.com. And if you'd like to write Dr. Lichten, you can do that as well. You can write him at usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Great subject matter today. And it's fun. And the thing that people have to understand, when you go to talk to your doctor, they're going to blow you off. 
They're going to say, this doesn't work. It's not there because they learned 25 years ago. And then what you have to do is you have to walk in with some supporting information. So if you get our textbook of, uh, of bioidentical hormones, all there's over 700 references. So you go to the doctor and say, well, but here's an article about growth hormone being used for Crohn's disease. It was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. Do you think that's an alternative journal? All these things are scientific studies. And what I told you is all these animal studies now are saying, why can't we use testosterone in treating rheumatoid arthritis? When it came to lupus, leading guy at Stanford 20 years ago came up with an article. If I give a patient with renal lupus, I can decrease their protein in their urine. I can improve their condition with just DHEA. Dela, I wish you the best of health and success. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's Thank our you, pleasure. Oh, it's my treat. This is my privilege. I told you. I do this because it just uh, fills my heart. Well, on behalf of all of your patients and all of our listeners, I thank you as well. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to our next program every single Monday on iTunes or on antiagingradio.com. For The Licton Lifestyle, I'm Steve Peck saying so long and stay healthy.